Hello, welcome to Breton Baptist Church Online. Whether you're joining us live this morning on Sunday morning or you found us on YouTube, a very warm welcome to you. My name is Rich Danbrook. I'm one of the leaders at Breton Baptist Church and we're delighted to be able to bring you some content this morning. Hope you're all well in this difficult time. My wife Emma and I run a connect group here in Breton and we actually ran it online this last Monday for the first time and uh, we found it quite good actually. We were able to see each other's faces and encourage each other and share things together. But one of the things that's come out of this season that we kind of have wanted our connect group, our home group to do more is connect during the week and now we have a WhatsApp group where we're sharing prayer requests and encouragement more than we ever did when we were able to meet physically. And I think that is happening more and more, that actually there are groups of people joining together and supporting and encouraging each other in ways that we never did before. We are kicking off this week a series looking at the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to look at how Jesus is presented through Mark, his life, his actions, and how is it that we can confess Jesus to other people. And how can we get excited about a relationship with Jesus? So we'll head straight into it. What do we know about the book of Mark? Well, it was written by a guy called John Mark. Uh, he was a friend and a writer for Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. And John, uh, John Mark listened to Peter's stories as he told them. And that's how the gospel was originally shared by word of mouth, by verbal communication. Now, 50 to 60 years AD, um, so not that long after the life of Jesus, all the eyewitnesses are starting to die off. And so Mark faithfully and dutifully writes the very first written account of the gospel. It is the shortest of the gospels at just 16 chapters. And it was originally written to encourage Roman Christians. Mark presents a concise picture of the person and the works and the life and teaching of Jesus. Mark is structured in three main sections and it's structured geographically. The first section is in and around Galilee and Jesus is teaching there as he begins his ministry. The middle section is this on the way from Galilee to the final section of Jerusalem. And it's in that middle section that we get a kind of pivotal point. In chapter 8, Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say I am? And they respond saying, John the Baptist or Elisha or one of the prophets. And Jesus asks them, but who do you say I am? And Peter quickly responds, you are the Christ. And it's from that revelation, Jesus then starts to talk to them about his coming death and resurrection. And that last, last section of Mark is all about Jesus' passion, his teaching in his final days, and his death and his resurrection. Mark is fast-paced. He pulls no punches and he doesn't go off track like some preachers have a tendency to do. He presents a rapid succession of vivid pictures of Jesus, Jesus in action. 
and he's telling of an event that radically changes the way we look at and experience our world. And I think we're all in a position where we're looking at and experiencing world differently now. So I want to look at three areas that I picked out of this first chapter of Mark. Immediacy and action. Space and time. And compassion and overcoming. And we're going to read now from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So, there's no messing around. Immediacy and action. Mark doesn't uh, spend any time on the family drama of the nativity. From verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know straight away who we're talking about, and Mark will keep pressing that point on. Mark doesn't include a great deal of detail or character development, but his imagery is vivid. After he comes, one who is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And then after Jesus is baptised, says he came up out of the water and immediately the heavens are splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. It's beautiful and evocative imagery. Then a voice comes from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't even begun his ministry yet. He didn't have any miracle videos on YouTube, no followers on Instagram. What he had 
It's an affirmation of his father. Mark continues the fast-moving action and picks up the pace. What struck me was how many times the word immediately is used in this chapter alone. Immediately, or the word at once, as it's sometimes translated, is used ten times just in this short first chapter. And Mark covers the baptism of Jesus, the temptation in the desert, Jesus beginning his ministry and calling his first disciples, healing people and preaching in a way that astonishes everybody because of the authority that he has. It's nothing like the teachers and scribes they've heard before. The other Gospels take several chapters to cover this. The sense of urgency and immediacy grows. In Mark uh, and Mark takes two verses to summarise Jesus beginning his ministry. As Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the word time there is a, an appointed season. And fulfilled, the time is fulfilled, is full, it's complete. The season is now complete and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's imminent. It's drawing close. The season's complete and the kingdom of God is approaching. I don't know what eternal life is going to be like, but I do know that now we are united in the kingdom of God that has come in its completeness now. So wherever we are, in our scattered homes, we are united together. The kingdom of God is at hand and, our, and the season is complete and ready. As Jesus goes on, he sees Simon and his brother Andrew and Jesus simply says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. The amplified version which tries to expand on some of the meaning behind the original words adds this in verse 18 they left their nets yielding up all claim to them they gave up what they had their livelihood their business yielded up all claim to them they said we're not coming back we don't need these anymore this isn't who we are we're leaving behind what we were and going with what God is calling us toward just that sense of yielding up all claim. We're, we're so good at hoarding and saying this is mine. From a very early age, we learn to say mine. We learn claim and ownership. And here we see two people that were probably living you know, very much uh, day to day, hand to mouth. And yielding up all claim on their security to follow Jesus. I'd like to just step back into the Old Testament briefly, into Leviticus 26. Now Leviticus is a book of laws, it can be quite challenged to read. But chapter 26 outlays some of the blessings that God promises to his people when they obey him. And verse 10 says, You will have such surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. God is saying that I'm going to give you more and then give you more again in abundance so that the more that I gave you before, you'll have to clear out to make room for what I'm giving you next. God just wants to give and give 
God is loving and generous. But the trouble is, we hold on and want security in those things that we've had. And the blessings we have from God, one day we want to hold on to and not let go of. And the trouble with protecting what is old is that what's new can look like a threat. And so when God is saying the season now is for something different, for new blessings, I need you to clear out the old blessings to make room for the new, we get frightened. But God, I think, is using this season as a reset for us, as a chance to look at what our life is, what we do with it. And so for many of us, we're going to go through difficult times, hard times, challenging times. But it might just be that God is helping you to clear out what was and make room for what he's going to do next. I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said, don't leave until tomorrow what you can do today. Now, it's a phrase I sometimes use with my kids when I want them to tidy their room. Rather than me nagging you more all the time, do it now, get it done, and then you don't have to hear from me again. If you need to tidy your room, tidy it now. Do your homework now, don't leave it till later. This isn't about putting pressure on ourselves to get everything done today and at once. And it's not about worrying or panicking about things that we didn't do yesterday. But it's about doing the job that's in front of us. It's about positioning ourselves for a miracle. God will put in front of you the work that you need to do today. And it might just be that today, the thing that you need to do is not kill your kids. The thing that you need to do is not check social media every minute. And you'll get through today. And God's mercies are new every day. They're fresh for the things you're going to face that day. God will give you what you need for that day. We don't need to go and seek more stuff, more troubles, more worries. So point two, space and time. Now, I'm tempted to add in some kind of Doctor Who joke here about wibbly wobbly timey wimey but I won't there's no one to look at or laugh at my jokes so it just feels a bit awkward anyway back in verse 12 it says that the spirit immediately drove that is compelled Jesus out into the wilderness so Jesus for 40 days spent time with the wild animals it was a season for him of prayer and fasting before he entered into the ministry, the preparation, the mission that uh, God had for him, that he had prepared for him. And so that time was essential in preparing Jesus for the amazing things that were ahead. And so we need to spend time with God if we want to be prepared and step into the things that God has for us but even though Jesus was away from people and away from other distractions it wasn't just me time 
In fact, for Jesus, this was a time of testing and temptation. Life is not an easy ride. And we have to go through those times of testing and temptation in order to get to where Jesus and where God wants us to be. To become the person that he wants us to be. That he's created us to be, to partner with him. And Jesus intentionally made time. So he started off his ministry with this big chunk of dedicated time in prayer and fasting. Of going through that temptation and testing. But he also, it says in verse 35 that we'll read, rising very early the next morning when it was still dark. That's no time to get up when it's still dark. Stay in my bed. But Jesus, rising very early in the morning when it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So whether it's early in the morning for you, it might not be. Or whether it's last thing at night or whether it's carving out part of your lunchtime, or any point in the day, we need to intentionally be making sure that we are making space for God. It's through prayer that's what equipped Jesus to be able to teach and heal and cast out demons with the authority that he had in the Spirit. And we have access to that same Spirit. But we are not equipped in it if we don't spend time with God. And so... We're hearing lots of people saying about this season of uh, self-isolation and social distancing being a good excuse for people to find more time with God. And it might be that you're in a position where actually you're getting bored or running out of things to watch on telly or fed up of reading your book. But it might be, like it is for me, actually, the last couple of weeks I haven't been busier or more stressed or had more demands on my time. And so it can still be hard when you've got kids at home that you suddenly need to homeschool. When you need to try and find quiet space to actually get some work done. When you're worrying and fretting about finances and health. But we need to connect with God. Because God, I think, is aching for us. He is longing. Our lives have become so busy, so consumed with consuming social media and news and just non-stop flicking of the phone and scrolling and God is aching for a relationship with us and I think in this season he just wants us to stop and listen so no matter how busy you are however demanding life is then stop and listen to God telling you how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. That's what being a disciple is. It's about having a relationship with Jesus and trusting him. Confessing him to others. And doing what we see him doing. And allowing our lives to be shaped by his. Now I feel... I felt as I was preparing this message, there'll be somebody watching who has experienced anxiety and a tightness in them, in their spirit, and they're about ready to pop. There might be someone watching live this morning or someone that comes across this message at another time. But I want to speak to you, and it may be that there's a lot of people experience anxiety, but you 
feel you're about to pop. And it might be that you're kind of, you didn't really think about it as anxiety and worry, but you've been putting on a strong exterior to support your family or to, to look strong and confident and unshaken. But I believe God is calling you and poking that mask, not to get you to be overwhelmed or give in to fear, but to be honest and open and seek support from other people. And so I'd like to suggest some practical things that I've had to take on in order to manage my anxiety. And that's to take control of what you're listening to and what you're reading. Choose a time of the day that you might catch up on the news and latest developments rather than constantly throughout the day. Choose where you're going to get that information from and be careful about what news sources you read. We can't keep feeding ourselves with fear and then just pray for faith. We need to stop feeding ourselves with fear and feed ourselves instead with faith in God. So is that someone you? Well, if you're watching live, there's a live prayer button down below the video. Click that and you'll be able to join in a private confidential chat with one of our hosts. If you're watching this later, then please visit our website, brettonbaptist.church, and get in contact with us so that we can pray for you. If you're able, if there's somebody with you right now in your home, then pray, admit the fear and anxiety that you're feeling and support one another through this. You don't have to handle this on your own. If there's not somebody physically with you or you're not able to share with them, then call somebody up. Video chat, phone call, even a message. Whatever it is, open up and be vulnerable to people. It might feel strange to pray with somebody through FaceTime or chat, but these are strange times and God transcends everything. He transcends the distance. He transcends the screen of your phone. He transcends anything and he can connect us. We are united in the kingdom of God that is here with us now. And I want to encourage you that God transcends because we have our God and we trust God and we know God is there. But we also, we have our worries. And boy, do our worries seem big. And you know, in a moment of faith, we can take a worry and we can put it on God. God, you haven't done anything with it yet. I'm taking it back. Why do we do that? Why do we take things back from God and not trust him with it? Well, it might just be that your God is too small. That you don't believe that your God is bigger than your worries, bigger than your fears. Because we need to flip the narrative. And our God is bigger. Our God is bigger. And it says in uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your worries and cares unto him, for he cares for you. So it's not just about taking a worry at a time and put it into our God. It's about taking our whole life, everything that we are, and putting it in God. Colossians 3, 3 says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ. You can cast all your worries 
and cares unto God. For he cares for you. He is bigger than this virus. He is bigger than the isolation. He is bigger than the financial situation that you're facing. God is bigger and he is not surprised by these situations. He wants you to stop and listen and hear him singing over you and telling you that he loves you. Now, sometimes it takes more faith to give your battle back to God. Sometimes we find ourselves continuing to fight a battle and God's just saying, give me my battle back. This is not yours to fight. It's mine. And I think for me, the one thing that's kept me going through this is, do you know what? This is bigger than me. It just is. I can't do anything to stop this. Obviously, we can follow the guidelines and do uh, the social distancing, and that is really important. But I can't stop the virus. I can't fix it. I can't heal people. But God can. God is bigger than this. So it's out of my control. It's not my battle to fight. I'll play my part and do what is in front of me today. But it's not my battle to fight. So we're going to continue with the last part of chapter 1 of Mark, starting at verse 21 to 45. Mark chapter 1, starting verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, can you make me clean? Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, 
but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So then we come on to the third and final point, compassion and overcoming. So just at the end there we see Jesus uh, approached by a man with leprosy. Now there's an interesting fact that actually in the Bible what I didn't realize really was the word leprosy uh, is used for any number of skin conditions. But it's also used for mildew and mold in clothing and buildings. Jesus understood social distancing. And Leviticus again sets out certain laws that once uh, presented to and inspected by a priest, a person suffering one of these skin conditions may well have to live outside the camp and live alone for as long as they had this disease. And so Jesus understood there were times when people had to stay apart from each other for very good reasons. But Leviticus laws never said people should be ignored or not spoken to. It became misunderstood and shameful. People were rejected and ignored. But Jesus takes a different approach. Jesus is willing to reach out and touch. He didn't have to touch the leper to heal him. He didn't have to touch Simon's mother-in-law to heal her. But Jesus is after a relationship. He's after contact and intimacy. He sees the person and wants to show them love. And so while at the moment we need to follow government guidelines and respect the authority that God has placed over us, Jesus presents us an upside-down kingdom. He presents a different way of approaching things, a different way of looking at the world and experiencing the world differently. His upside-down kingdom comes in the fact that the king of the universe, the sovereign lord of everything, came as a suffering servant. And this king dies so that we can have life. Jesus undoes our misunderstandings and he helps us to unlearn the wrong ways that we've learned to experience the world that he created for us. He steps over social barriers again and again. Barriers of wealth, upbringing, age, the color of our skin, male and female. These things that we still struggle with, that we still allow to separate and divide us. And Jesus presents a new way of just saying, love each other. No matter what, no matter who you are or where you're from, be there for each other. And we have a unique opportunity right now to show that we can care for people. Simply because we share the common bond of being human and created in the image of of God. And that's what Jesus demonstrates through his life. And that's what Mark is presenting to us so concisely, so vividly. It's been an amazing week or two. I read somewhere this week that this last week has been the longest month. 
And it just feels like that, doesn't it? The world has changed so drastically in the last couple of weeks, 10 days. But last Thursday was really emotional. Eight o'clock, people all over the country stood out on their doorsteps and applauded the NHS, applauded our key workers and people keeping us safe. We have people offering help to their friends and neighbours, putting cards to people's doors saying, call me on this number if you need some shopping or you need some medicine or you need some help. We've got companies that are supplying medical supplies, providing medical supplies. We've got so many children's authors doing daily readings of their books to entertain children and learning resources and teachers being so in an in, initiative, I can't say that word, and just thinking up new ways of supporting their students. And just people being excited and yes, in this difficult time, yes, it's scary, yes, it's difficult, but actually it's causing us to find ways of connecting with people. Like I said in our connect group, we are now communicating and encouraging each other like never before. We want to hear your stories, so please, if you have an, a story of an experience that you've had of someone reaching out to you, or even you reaching out to somebody else, I'm not asking you to boast, just to share an encouraging story of how that went and how the other person reacted. If you've got that story, then film yourself telling it, or make an audio recording, or even just type it down. Send it to media at BrettonBaptist.com org.uk or find the details on our website. We want to share your stories in our services. We want to encourage each other with the fact that God is still moving and still working through us, even when we can't be physically with each other. Because this isn't about positive thinking. It's about trusting God. It's about listening to the right voice and not feeding ourselves with fear listening to God's voice in all of this. Francis Chan said this, In truly healthy relationships, we enable each other to accomplish more than we could have done alone. And that was his plan. God is bigger than your anxiety and your worries. He was bigger than what worried you before this came along. And he's bigger than whatever comes next after this has passed. For this too shall pass. God is bigger. And I come in to land with this. Romans fifteen thirteen. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus, if you have realized this morning that your God is too small, or maybe you hadn't realized that God was wanting a relationship with you at all, then I've just ask you to take this opportunity to think, to reflect. Don't leave to tomorrow what you can do today. And give your yes to Jesus.
So if you now are feeling that pull inside you, that actually you want to realize that God is bigger than this, that he can hold this for you and hold you up, then pray this with me. Because it isn't about us, it's about Jesus. We don't need to understand all of this. We don't need to know the ins and outs or when this is all going to end. We just need to trust. So if this is your first time or you want to make a recommitment to God right now, then pray with me. I give my life to you, Heavenly Father. Save me. Forgive me all the times I've messed up. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you and serve you and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for my new life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.